one in your scriptures. John's Gospel, 21st chapter, while you're turning, we have enjoyed our time here today. Appreciate the nice meal that was provided by Miss Lovins and good fellowship of God's people throughout today. It's good to be with the Lord's people. I've said it a lot of times. They're strange sometimes, but, but that's all right. You know, there's all kind of people in this world. It's what makes it go round. I reckon at least that's what they say. Amen. I guess we won't know because it's going to keep going round. But uh, nonetheless, love the Lord's people and uh, <clears throat> appreciate this church and <clears throat> our friendship with you. John 21, we're going to read the first few verses here. And get our thought quickly. After these things, Jesus, verse 1, showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon, Peter, and Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel, Canaan of Galilee, of the sons of Zebedee, and to other disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore and now, they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish lay there on and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went, drew the net to the land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three, and all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And 
none of his disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? We'll end our reading there this evening. Again, we're looking at this thought here in verse number 4. And when the morning was now come. Another morning moment in God's word. And uh, this morning we looked at the morning of resurrection. Tonight we're looking at this morning, if you will, of a renewal or of a, uh, a relationship uh, coming back to the Lord here. Now the word of God started in our reading after these things. And the things in which it is referred to is the previous verses where Jesus had showed himself to the disciples after his resurrection. It just so happens in our morning thought that uh, we were reading where the Lord had risen from the grave and showed himself to his disciples and to Mary and the ladies there. But after those events, he showed himself uh, there in verse number 19 of chapter 20. And he brings peace unto them. They were fearful, they were afraid, and, and uh, they were somewhat apprehensive. But he brings peace. And Thomas wasn't there in verse 24. And uh, he was somewhat doubtful and uh, said, Lest I push, push, put my finger in his hands and my hand in his side, I just can't believe what you're telling me. And eight days pass and Jesus shows himself again in verse 26 of chapter number 20. And uh, the next verse he tells Thomas to reach hither his finger and place his hand in his side. And don't be faithless, he says, but believe. And Thomas makes those famous words where he says... Uh, uh, Lord, uh, my Lord, and my God. So after these things is what's referred to, we come to our thought this evening. These disciples here, uh, you know, the Lord hadn't revealed himself again to them, and uh, Peter makes a statement here that he's going fishing. So I want to look at two major thoughts tonight, and and kind of elaborate on each one of those major thoughts. I want you to notice, first of all, what I have entitled, The Dismaying of the Night. The Word of God says that Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. So in this night season, we all experience what I would call night seasons. Times of, um, you know, not so much revealed guidance, uh, not so much, uh, you know, excitement and joy. Uh, the night, you know, the night doesn't bring out the best of people. Uh, matter of fact, the, the safest time to go in a bad part of town is about 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock in the morning. They're still sleeping from what they've been doing the night before. And, uh, you know, I won't tell you, you can leave your car unlocked and all of that, but uh, I will say you're, you're safe because the nights at uh, time, you know, 11, 12, 1, 2, 3 
uh, people aren't really up to their best. I've often said, my wife tells me she married an old man, but I said when God turns the light out, you need to be in the house. That's just my philosophy. I'm not a night owl out and about. And uh, because good things don't usually happen at night. It's usually the, the worst of the lot out and about in the night season. But that's irrelevant to what I'm trying to relate to you. But I'm trying to show you the similarities, spiritually speaking. There are night times in our life that we all experience when it doesn't seem like things are at its brightest. It doesn't seem like things are revealed uh, in our life and uh, like we want them to be and how they have been in the past. Notice four things about this night that they experienced. I want you to notice, number one, it was a time of discouragement. You see, they are just coming off of what I would call, uh, you know, a revival, if you will. They were gathered together in the previous chapter together, and Jesus uh, reveals himself again to them. And he says every time those two events transpire in chapter 20, the first things he says to them is peace. Peace be unto you. And uh, he lets them know. Luke uh, says some other things. He said, fear not. And, and then it's also revealed in the, uh, the gospel that they were glad when they saw the Lord. Uh, during these moments where Jesus is so evident and so present in, in, in their assembly, they are filled with peace and they are filled with joy. Uh, and, and they are glad for what they are experiencing. But now they're in a season, a time in their life where Jesus is not physically there. And Peter makes that statement, I'm going to go fishing. You know, their world seemed to be upside down. Things were not as busy as they had been. The Lord was always busy. He said this, I must do the work now why it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. The Lord never had idle time where he just kind of went about leisurely and did nothing. Uh, but he was always busy about his father's business. So these disciples, they were traveling often with the Lord or they were standing as he preached or they were out and about as uh, he ministered. But those days were transitioning. Those times were ceasing. And now Peter looks around, if you will, and says, you know what? There's not much going on here. I'm going fishing. And can I tell you tonight that in the night seasons of life, you may find them to be times of discouragement. You know, it would be great if every day of our life was as the, uh, the author said, a Friday. And uh, I don't advise you read that book at all, matter of fact. But uh, every day's not a pleasant day. Every day's not a joyful day. Don't mean we can't rejoice in the Lord always. It doesn't mean that we can't give thanks in everything. But there are going to be times in our life of discouragement. There's going to be times in our life where we just just have a hard time putting one foot in front of the other. 
You know, going from place to place, you are a fresh set of ears. And people enjoy able to relieve their stories. And I enjoy hearing them because, uh, and I, maybe enjoy is not the proper word, I'm grateful to be able to be a part of their, you know, relieving of burdens. And I said all that to say this is because you hear a lot of stuff. And you hear a lot of sad stuff. I mean, thank God you hear a lot of good stuff, but you hear a lot of hardship. Uh, the, the meeting I was just at, uh, there was a, it was a tent meeting, and, and there was a, 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 a senior saint, a mature Christian sitting there. And, and I was greeting the people out there, and, and I went and I talked to this dear lady, and I was just talking to her. First time I ever been to this, this church. And she was telling me about her life and about one thing or another. And I asked her about uh, her family. And she said, I have a daughter. You may have seen her sitting here with me this week. She says she has six sons. And I don't know how the, the conversation began to develop. But as it did, she began to tell me about her daughter and her family. She said it was back in last year, and I forget the month, but just for story's sake, we'll say June. Her husband had bought a, uh, a, a tractor trailer, and he had worked somewhere for 18 years, and he was going out on his own. He bought this, car, this tractor trailer, and he began to, to travel with it and make a living. And, and around four or five months after that, uh, the month of June, he had a cough, a nagging cough he couldn't get rid of. Everything was good, everything was fine, but he just had this cough he couldn't get over. He went to the doctor for the cough, and they did some, some, uh, some uh, tests and some uh, x-rays and so on and so forth. And when they did those, it revealed that he had cancer all over his body. I believe he was 47, 49, something like that. It was in his bones, it was in his organs, it was in his blood, it was everywhere in his body. And he did not live but six months after that. And here this lady was, under 50 years old, had six sons, three of them were still in school, and there they were without a father, without a husband. You hear those types of stories. And you see the burdens that people carry. And, and everyone in this room tonight, we all have different types of stories, but they're all time seasons in our life of discouragement. And that's what these disciples were facing during this night season. But notice secondly, not only was it a time of discouragement, but notice secondly, it was a time of what I call deviation. Here in John chapter number 21, the Word of God says that Peter says, I go a-fishing. That word deviate means this, to wonder, to turn aside from the right way, course, or line, wandering from the path of duty to error to sin. So here Peter, he looks at his friends, his fellow disciples, and he makes this announcement, I go a-fishing. 
Now let me just say this. There's nothing wrong, praise the Lord, with fishing. I'm glad that's not a sin. Uh, I'm thankful tonight that you can go fishing with a clear conscience. And uh, you may say things that you don't have a good clear conscience or you may tell certain stories after you fish that will, that will hinder your clear conscience. But in fishing of itself, there's nothing wrong. The problem with them going fishing is what has already been discovered and discussed and declared in their life. Mark 1 and verse 18, the Word of God said, and straight they, straightway they forsook all, uh, forsook their nets and followed him. In Luke 5 and verse 11, they forsook all and followed him. So what they did is they forsook their nets, they forsook their boats, and they said, Lord, from here on out, we're no longer fishing for men. We're going to do and follow you. And the Lord said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. We're no longer fishermen, but we're fishing for the souls of men. They've said no to the old things they used to do. They weren't bad things. They weren't sinful things. But they were just not the path that God had chosen for them to take. And now they were forsaking them. They didn't put their boats in the dock. They didn't lease out their boats. They didn't store their nets. But they forsook them. They turned their back on them. They said, that's what I used to do. That's where I used to go. That's the things I used to be a part of. I'm no longer doing that anymore. Now I'm following the Lord. I'm going to fish for the souls of men. And here we find them going back to where they said they were no longer going to go to. They were deviating from the right path. They were following the wrong way. They were going back to what they said they were going to forsake, a time of deviation. I'm going to tell you tonight, we'll find ourselves sometimes being in that same pathway. We'll find ourselves leaning towards the things that we said we're not going to do anymore. I don't want to get caught into this, but I want to hit it while we're here. I just wonder how many of us have made some commitments. Can I use the word made some vows? Maybe it was here at this altar. Maybe it was on that pew where you sit. Maybe it was in your bedroom at your kitchen table. Uh, maybe it was in the car as you rode down the road and listened to some preaching or heard some singing or even was silently praying to the Lord and you made some commitments to God. I no longer am going to do this. I'm no longer going to uh, be hang around those people. Uh, uh, from now on, I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to start reading and praying and whatever it might be. And we made those commitments but when the darkness begin to implode on us and things begin to quiet down the, 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 the camp Calvary everything was set aside the preachers went home uh, all of the singing had silenced and things were back to normal and here we were finding ourselves deviating from what we were going to do these disciples never deviated while the Lord was present they never went back to fishing when the Lord was there. But when the Lord wasn't with them physically, they said, Peter says, I go a fishing, and they go right along with him. I'm going to tell you, even though we may not see him, he's still there. 
You know, it, it does us good tonight if we realize that what we see, the Holy Ghost sees. What we hear, the Holy Ghost hears. What, what, where we go, the Holy Ghost goes. May that cause us to be more cautious on what we see and hear and say and look at. Because he's grieved and quenched. A time of deviation. A time of desolation. Look what the word of God said. They fished and they caught nothing. Empty. Completely empty. All their nets and all their boats and all their experience, all of their wisdom produced nothing. They were completely empty. And I tell you what, that's what always happens when we go back. We'll never have fulfillment in this world. We'll always be empty in this world. We'll always come up empty in this world. This world, I know you've heard it time and time again, especially these young people, but this world absolutely has nothing to give you of any profit. Oh yes, it'll give you a buzz, and oh yes, it'll give you some laughs, and oh yes, it'll give you some entertainment. Yes, it'll give you some things that this old flesh will enjoy, and, and it'll give you some highs, and it'll give you some, some great uh, thrills, but I'm telling you, those highs and thrills, they're so few and far between, and every one of them gets less and less enjoyable. It gets less and less fulfilling. And I'm telling you, you'll come up empty in this world. And as a home setting, you and I, we may have everything that we would desire. We have a nice home. We have a lot of money. We have a lot of things. But I'm telling you, those things mean absolutely nothing if we're not following the Lord in the way in which we ought to follow Him. It's amazing our, 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 our world today, we're so busy. I'm not talking about the lost world, I'm talking about the Christian world. The Christian world seems to be so busy and so, so concerned and so consumed about the things of the world. We have uh, things that we desire in order to achieve what uh, we think we want. But when we get what we want, we find out we don't have what we really need. We're like these disciples, we catch nothing. And then notice, fourthly, it was a time of darkness. They fished all night. There's just nothing bright about where they were and what they were experiencing. It wasn't only physical and literal darkness, but it was spiritual darkness as well. That time of wandering from the Lord, there was no spiritual Light inside it all, no joy, no thrill of uh, their fishing. Uh, I would imagine they enjoyed fishing back before they forsook all. I, I would imagine that they, they got what they wanted when they were fishing until they forsook all, but now they're different people. And they're, they're going to always feel like there's no joy, no brightness out on that boat from here on out. Because that's where they used to be. And I'm going to tell you, it's, it, it, you'll find yourself when we get in that time of deviation, that time of, uh, of wandering from the Lord, 
We just won't get out of things what we used to get out of it. We'll come sit in church and we'll wonder why is the singing so flat? Why is the preaching so long and so boring? You know, why is the, we'll, we'll say, why is the spirit so dry? Well, the problem isn't necessarily with the singers and isn't always with the preacher. Sometimes the problem can be with us. Uh, well, our spirit is dark and gloomy and we're not where we ought to be and there's just no brightness in anything. There's no brightness in the fellowship of God's people. There's no brightness in the singing of God's songs. There's no brightness in the preaching of God's word. And we just, we just go through the motions, but there's no joy inside when we get like these disciples. We're not where we ought to be. So we see the time, the dismaying of the night. But I want to focus more on the dawning of the morning here. I tell you, I love verse number four. It just, it's just a great great flip turn of events. But when the morning was now come. But when the morning was now come. Now I, I dare say that the morning coming for these disciples didn't bring them joy. Didn't bring them thrills. Because the morning revealed just how real empty they were. You know, they didn't have time on their wrist. They didn't know what time it was. They had to go by the stars and by the elements that God put in above their heads. So that sun beginning to creep up over the eastern sky revealed to them just how long they'd been empty. Just how, just how long they've struggled and not caught anything. But what makes this verse so wonderful is the conclusion of that thought. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Huh. Listen, beloved. It wasn't the morning that brought Jesus, but it was Jesus that brought the morning. All oh, the morning without Jesus on the shore would have been discouraging. The morning without Jesus standing there would have been a sad ending to a long night fishing. But when Jesus stood on the shore, it changed the whole scenario. Let's look at it. Notice four or five things. Number one, I see there's a concern that is faithful. Jesus stood on the shore. Now here, these disciples, they have wondered, as we've already talked for just a moment, they've wondered from where they ought to be. They've deviated from where they should have been. They've not remained faithful as they ought to have remained. We can call them, uh, and I'm not being derogatory, but we can call them a fair-weather saint. You ever met fair-weather fishermen? You can, I, I can be accused of that. I don't mind wearing that title. I'm a fair-weather fisherman. I don't want to go stand out in terrible weather and catch nothing. They seem to have been a fair-weathered saint. And here they were. They went back to their boats that they said they were going to forsake. They picked up their nets that they said they were going to forsake. They were back on the lake out there fishing that they said they were going to forsake. And they caught nothing. But Jesus was on the shore. 
Now Jesus knew where they were. I'm going to tell you, if I would have been the Lord, or if you, can I just say, if you would have been the Lord, I don't know, I would have thought, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, I'm going to stir up a storm, show these boys just how wrong they are. That'll get them back on the right path. I'll, I'll, I'll knock a hole in their boat. Let them just sink out there and, and show them that, hey, you are in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing. You ought not to be doing that. You should know better than that. Three and a half years of following me, three and a half years of knowing that I'm God, three and a half years of seeing God work in me and through me, seeing the miracles, seeing all that Jesus had done, and here just a small span of absence, they go back to the left. I'll show them just what it's all about. That's not what the Lord does. The Lord goes to where they're at and he stands on the shore just as faithful as he's always been. Just as kind as he's always been. Boy, I'm thankful tonight for the Lord's faithfulness. I, even when I'm not faithful to him and I have to admit there's often times I'm not faithful to him and several assets, uh, uh, facets of my life. There's times I'm not faithful to him as I ought to be, but I've never, I've never found him not to be faithful to me. I've never found him not been standing on my shore when I've fished all night and caught nothing. I've never found him not standing when I went out through the night and, and been wandering away from where I've been. Thank God that there's been days and times in our lives that we wondered where he's been. We wondered if he knows and we've not been where we should have been. But my dear friend, he's been faithful to stand on the shore. We see there is a concern that was faithful. And then notice, secondly, there's a communication that is useful. He says in verse 5, Children, have you any meat? He says, Children, have you any meat? Now, I don't know about you, but looking at it, at this point, they did not know who the Lord was. And they'd been up all night fishing and hadn't caught a thing. And they get up and they're out there empty and they see a figure standing on the shore, well rested, and he says, Hey, the fish biting? Y'all caught anything? Now, you know when people don't catch anything, they always want to tell you how many bites they had. Like the fellow hunting, if he don't hit anything, he always wants to tell you what he saw. And here this was, in their opinion, just a man, they didn't know who the Lord was at this time, standing up there and asking, have y'all caught anything? How humiliating it must have been. For these grown, experienced men to answer, no, no. We've not called a thing. We, we've not got one fish to show for what we've 
labor to get. He was showing them just how empty it is without him. Have you called anything? Do you think the Lord knew that they hadn't called anything? You know, it does you good to study questions that Jesus asked. It's a great study. Can I just say that Jesus never asked a question because he needed to be informed? He never asked to acquire knowledge. So when he said, have you any meat, it wasn't so they could tell him yes or no, so he'd realize. It was so they could acknowledge it themselves. They had to hear it from themselves. No. We got up this early this morning. We got everything ready and we fished all night and what do we have? Nothing. No. We don't have any success. No, we've not profited in the least. No, this hasn't been the best idea that we've had. No, we have failed. We have failed in our endeavor. What we used to do to make a living, we're empty at. No. What God has a way of calling attention to how empty we are without Him. I mean, when things even look logical, when they look like they, you know, if I do A, B, and C, this is going to happen, and we do A, B, and C, and we fall flat on our face. That's not how it's supposed to work. That's not the outcome that usually happens. And the Lord will let us just go empty sometimes just to show you and I how much we need Him. A communication that is useful. But then notice thirdly, there's a correction that's helpful. Verse number 6. Cast the net on the right side of the ship. Cast the net on the right side of the ship. Think about that. You think they fished on the right side already? I would dare say they had. I'd think they fished on the right side and the left side and the front side and the back side numerous times. But he said, cast it on the right side. I'm going to tell you. Because I, I personally believe it's not to be, you can't verify this, but it, I believe it to be so. I believe that the Lord, when them fish, when he, they cast their net on the left side, he told the fish to swim to the right side. And when they cast on the right side, he tells them fish to swim to the left side. And, and there's Bible on that. There's scripture to prove that. The Lord had the fish swallow the coin. And then when Peter threw his hook in the water, the Lord told that fish to bite that hook. I don't know how far that whale had to swim to find Jonah. He may have had him a couple days heading that way before Jonah ever got on the boat. But he got exactly where Jonah was at when Jonah jumped over. And on and on we can look at the, the, the hey, think about that, uh, uh, that raven. He had that raven. I don't know where uh, that meat came from, uh, but he had it twice a day feeding Elijah by the brook. 
And I'm telling you, the Lord said, don't jump in that net. But then when they threw it on the right side, he had them on that side for them to catch. He said, cast your net on the right side. And here they were, had already fished all around that boat, but when the Lord said cast it on the right side, they drew in more fish than they could bring in. That's a, 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 a correction. You see, they've been doing it without the Lord. But boy, when they did it with the Lord, everything changed. They no longer were empty. They no, they no longer were needful. They were no longer uh, without any profit. Now they have what they wanted. Now they had what they looked for. Now they had what they strived for. I'm telling you tonight, dear friend, sometimes we come up empty. We come up at, at a loss because we're not doing it God's way. And God's way is always the best way. God's way, raising a family is always the best way. God's way, young people living for the Lord is always the best way. God's way of uh, working the church is always the best way. This world tries to give all types of alternatives, all types of nuances and new ways of doing it, but I'm going to tell you, they may work in the world, but it doesn't work for God's people. God's way is always the right way, the best way, and the most fulfilling way. But then notice, fourthly, uh, there's a closeness that's needful. Now a lot happens between the verses that, verse 6 and verse 12, but our thought is verse 12, but disciples uh, John says it's the Lord and they jump out and, and when they do they find in verse 9 a fire of coals. And uh, I don't know, but maybe the Lord had that there to remind Peter. Last time there was a fire of coals, he was denying the Lord. And here the Lord, uh, he didn't wait on them to bring the fish. He already had some. And uh, he somehow or another, he had some bread too. And he had a fire going. And he said this. I like the closeness that's needful. He says that famous phrase, come and dine. Isn't that sweet? I mean, uh, I've already discussed how I would have thought I would have felt if I was the Lord. Notice he doesn't say, uh, what are y'all doing? As we would say, what in the world? If you got teenage children, you've said that before. Hopefully that's as bad as you've said. What were you thinking? I can't believe this. Sit down and shut up and listen while I chew you out. Run you up down inside the other. Don't y'all know that what you're doing is wrong? I mean, can't you just get it right for a little ways? Why do you he doesn't do any of that? He simply says, Come and dine. He doesn't push them away. He doesn't send them out in a way because of their failure, because of their mistake, but he says to them, come and dine. Now that word come is a very important word. It's mentioned throughout the word of God numerous times, and Jesus himself has said that word dozens and dozens of times. Just to rehearse and remind you of a few of the times he said it, 
He said it in Matthew 8 and verse 7, I will come and heal him. He said he's come to call sinners to repentance in Matthew 9. That very familiar come in Matthew 11, Come unto me all ye that labor and heavy laden. He says, Come ye and rest a while in Mark 6. In Mark 10 he says, Come, take up the cross and follow me. In Luke 19 he says, Come down to Zacchaeus, for today I must abide at thy house. Oh, in Luke 19 he says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. In Luke 19, 13 he says, Occupy till I come. In John 5 he said, I am come in my Father's name. And John 10 and verse 10, that familiar one, he says, I am come that they may have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Oh, he said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. John 14 and 18, I am come a light into the world. In John 14 and verse 18, I will come to you. In John 16 and verse 13, Howbeit when the Spirit of truth is come, He will guide you into all truth. Numerous times the Lord has used that word come. But this is needed to be noteful. This is the last time in the Lord's earthly life that He used the word come. Come is an important word. No other leader of any religious affiliated cult or group ever says come. They all say work. They all say do. They all say strive. They say hope. They say try to achieve. What makes Jesus so unique is he says not work, not hope, not strive. He says, come. And this is the last time that he said, come. How fitting it is that he didn't say it to the lost world, but he said it to some distraught, discouraged, deviated, detoured disciples. And he didn't say, come, fall down at my feet and get your heart right with God. And he didn't say, come, and repent of that wicked backslidden state that you're in. He didn't say come and give me a reason for your complacency. But he said come and dine. Don't dine with what you've caught. Don't dine from working and striving. But dine for what I provided for you. Sit down and dine for what I've cooked for you. My dear friend if you keep reading he did the serving. He served them. He fed them. He provided for them. He had it all worked for them. Thank God tonight, though we may wonder, He will let us come home. Though we may stray, He still has open arms and a willing heart to say, Come and dine. Oh, I'm telling you, that's a closeness. That's a closeness that is needful. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can be hard to forget and occasionally hard to forgive. 
I don't know in Missouri, y'all probably don't know anything about what they call grudges. Kind of a word that may not be familiar in this part of the country. But I'll just tell you what a grudge is. Just unforgiving. You know, I tell you what, he did me wrong and I may forgive, but I ain't going to forget. And we're all apt to be that way. But I'm going to tell you tonight, if we're going to be like the Lord, we're not going to be that way. Who would want to sit down and eat with somebody who just left the right path that you've been trying to teach them for three and a half years? But he said, come and dine. A closeness that's needful. And we conclude with a change that is beautiful. I want you to look at this. I kind of like it and I hope you will too. The Lord says in verse number 5, Children, have ye any meat? And we've already talked about their answer. It's the last word in the fifth verse. That word is no. Now in verse number 12, it would indicate that they didn't speak to the Lord. They durst not ask Him, Who art thou? So from verse number 5, there is no dialogue that the disciples have. They have not, it's not recorded, they have not said any other word. The only word has been recorded that the disciples said to the Lord is, no. But then you go to verse 15. There's another word. The next, the very next word that said by a disciple to the Lord in verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon, Son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, What? Yea. So the last word or the first word they say is no. But when they sit down and dine with the Lord, now they say, yes. He's changed their no to yes. And I tell you that word no sometimes can be a hard word. Children don't like no. But me as a parent, I enjoy saying no. Matter of fact, uh, Oftentimes, before I even hear what is asked, I say no. Dad, let me ask you a question. No. Can we? No. Since we've been gone, uh, Titus has been home by himself for the first time, and he's asked each call a few times and asked, Dad, I got something I want to ask. I say no. I already have it in my mind. That word no can can be hard to hear sometimes. When you want things to change and God says no. And you hope things work out and God says no. But I'm telling you tonight, this world is full of no's. Out in this world is nothing but no's. Any peace? No. 
Any fulfillment? No. Any revival? No. Any true love for, for the Lord in this world? No. Just knows everywhere you go. No in the world, no here, everywhere you seem to go. But I tell you, when you come and sit down and dine with the Lord, He's just full of yeses. Is He all that we need? Amen. Yes. Is He sufficient for every problem? Yes. Can He change our world? Yes. Can He revive His people? Yes. I'm telling you, He's just full of yeses. And He changed their negative to the positive. He changed their darkness into light. He changed their emptiness to fulfillment. He changed uh, their lostness to being found. He changed their aloneness to dining with company. And He changed their no into yes. I'm telling you, there's just something about that morning with the Lord, here these disciples, the last thing they can ever see is just a empty net, uh, just an empty heart, just an empty boat. But that morning when Jesus appears, their nets are filled, their boat is filled, hey, their stomach is filled, their joy is filled, their hope. There's just nothing out in that world that can fill you like the Lord. Amen. The morning of renewal. I tell you, dear beloved, tonight, that's what we need. We need that coming and dining with the Lord. In this world, we have a lot of things that will take us away. But we need to take our time and come and dine Will you bow your heads with me this evening?